Welcome to the front office. I'm Tony Lombardi, and I'm joined by Brian McFarlane from Russell Street Report. The front office is brought to you by Royal Farms. Everyone knows about Royal Farms' world-famous chicken, but I also want to encourage you to start your day with the area's freshest coffee from Royal Farms. There simply is no better coffee than a Royal Farms coffee. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Brian, it's been a minute, but it's your time of year. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, it's come a little... Yeah, yeah it's got a little sooner than we had hoped for sure. Yeah, yeah. So how have you been? Good, good. How about you? Good New Year's? Happy New Year was good. You know, it was I spent it down the beach. It was I don't know. I guess I'm getting old, Brian. I really like it. I like the mellow early dinner and just home <laughs> and just chilling out around midnight. Yeah, I've become a happy hour guy for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the old saying? You can't drink all day unless you start early. But now these days, if I start early, I'm finished early too. <laughs> exactly. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so anyway, in this podcast, I want to cover a few topics, some of which are narratives floated about by a couple of radio talking heads who claim to have quote unquote inside access that I'd like to address accurately without any cryptic agendas, just to set the record straight. There are also a few other topics I'd like to touch on for the benefit of our listeners and subscribers here on the front office. So, but before we get there, Brian, I'd just like to get your assessment of the 2021 season, one that was taken, I think, right directly from Murphy's Law. If it could go wrong, it did. But yeah, to, for sure. But to tee up our off-season discussion and our topics, starting with this podcast, let's assume for a second that Lamar was healthy all season. Let's assume that Ronnie Stanley responded positively to offseason ankle surgery the way the doctors planned. Same for Nick Boyle, same for Derek Wolf. Let's assume that J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards were available to the Ravens, that Marcus Peters was around from the jump, and Marlon Humphrey and Deshaun Elliott were never injured in season. Now, assuming all of that, are the Ravens a playoff team? Oh, oh, no doubt. I mean, they were, you know, they were, they were in the thick of it till, I guess we won't say this Sunday so much, but uh, certainly two, you know, two weeks before the end of the season, they were, you know, they, if they won against the Rams and won against the Steelers, they were most likely going to be in. So um, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you go from eight, nine, all of those players, if they get you three wins, three more wins, which I don't think, I mean, when you, if your secondary is healthy, your left tackle's healthy, your quarterback's healthy, your running backs are healthy. I don't think there's any question that they win. I mean, at least 11 games, which puts them, um, well, I guess that gives them the division title probably. So um, yeah, I don't think there's any question if they stay healthy. Now, of course, somebody else could have gotten hurt that, you know, isn't on that list that made it through the season. So you never know, but those are obviously when you're talking about, you know, two all pro corners and all pro left tackle an MVP quarterback and two very solid running backs. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I, those are big, big hits. So given that they are then potentially a division winner, are they a Super Bowl contender? Well, I will say the way if Lamar continued to play the way he played in the first half of the season, I don't think there's any question um, if they stay healthy, if, if they have everybody healthy and he continues playing that way, um, you know, we'll get into his contract in a, in a little bit. But, um, you know, I don't think there's any question if he's playing at that level. Um, I mean, he you know, he, he he even when he wasn't playing so great, he, he masks a lot of issues. Um, but if they've got everybody healthy and he's playing at that level, you might be looking at a 2019 kind of season, um, you know, 13 or 14 and two and obviously an extra game. So make that 14 and three at the worst. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it would have gone there, but I think somewhere between 11 to 14 wins, you know, the 11 I just said earlier. I mean, I think that's certainly possible. And, you know, that puts them you know, certainly in the thick of the thing for, um, you know, I mean, top seed. And then, you know, who knows? Do you think that it would be naive of the Ravens just to assume that let's get all of our guys back and, and everything will be okay? Or are there other issues that you think need to be addressed this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the age of the defensive line was going to be going to be an issue one way or another. Um, you know, having having Wolf as a rotational piece would have helped. Uh, but one way or another, when you look at, you know, when you look at Wolf and Campbell and, and, and Williams, 
Um, they were going to, they, you know, they needed to get healthier sooner and, you know, the right tackle was still going to be an issue. If Villanueva is on that side, I don't think he lasts there and Macari still has to come to the rescue. Um, but you know, the, the depth there at tackle and, and the defensive line, we're going to, if they, and who knows, maybe that could have sunk them this year too, at some point. Um, but that certainly was going to be an issue, uh, for 2022, no matter what. And it just seems it's human nature, Brian, that whenever things don't go as planned and clearly the 2021 season did not go as planned for the Ravens, that there's got to be a scapegoat. There's got to be someone or something to blame. And right now it seems to be since most people have accepted that the Ravens did the best that they could with the limited roster that they had, that they, like several other teams, had to fight through COVID, that the reason for the downfall is more pointed towards and the, the scapegoat is more pointed towards the coaching staff. Yeah. Well, I mean, anytime, you know, any, anytime you don't have the season to be expected, you know, coaching is going to come under the microscope. Um, I don't think he would have done it differently, but Harbaugh definitely, um, you know, points the arrow at himself when he goes for the wins and, and when, I mean, those, those are great. You know, he goes for the wins, goes for those two point conversions. They win. He's brilliant. You you lose. You know they don't get the two point conversions, and you know you, you suck. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's just the way it goes. Um, you know, nobody. I mean, people people would say I wouldn't have done that, but they wouldn't have complained if they if they had converted them. So, um, but that is going to you know, and that's the new breed. I mean, he's not as crazy as is uh, um, Brandon Stanley or Stan Daly in um in san because yeah, san diego too in la um but with with his calls but you know i mean when you're when you're going against the grain uh and doing things that are you know different um then that's that's gonna you know put a bullseye on you and you're the head coach so that is as well yeah i don't know if you saw on twitter but there was a brief video clip of eckler from the chargers he was at midfield after the game talking to one of the Raiders. It could have been Max Crosby. I'm not sure. But the Raider, you could tell by reading his lips, said, we were going to run the clock out. <laughs> and then the Chargers would have been in the playoffs. And then Steelers well, would not have been. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I saw that. But I, and I, I don't know. I still don't know why Staley called the timeout. Um he said to get the defense fixed, but then he took his middle linebacker, one of his two run-stopping linebackers, out. But I mean, they had to run. The, the Raiders had the the Raiders had to run the ball one more time anyway. So uh, if they, the, but so they were going to have this timeout didn't matter that much. They they still had to run a play, and if they get the first down now, if I guess if they get the and I mean they got ten yards, so the the Raiders had timeouts. I think at that point they they're obligated to kick when it's, you know, when it's, you know, not a 50 plus yard field goal. But um, so I didn't, yeah, I saw the clip, but I, I'm not sure that that, I'm not sure that timeout made that much of a difference in the thinking the 10 yard, giving up the 10 yards made all the difference in my opinion, but you know, nobody's going to tell you the full truth at this point, one way or another on what's what either side was thinking. Right. And the, the way that played out, you know, that way, and then you look back at the Dolphins beating the Patriots. Then it, it made that loss to the Steelers a lot more palatable to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, who, you know, who would have ever thought the Colts would lose to Jacksonville in the first place? <laughs> right. So, all right, let's get into some of the, the cap issues. And in 2021, Brian, the Ravens were tight against the cap as they typically are most of the time. Uh, a two-part question for you. Why a lack of space? And did that lack of space prevent any extensions? Yeah, well, I mean, and the answer on that is kind of twofold. Obviously, the injuries, uh, the, the amazing, uh, overwhelming number of injuries, I mean, just took up a lot of cap space. When you have that many guys on IR, I know some of those guys that were on IR weren't going to be contributors anyway, and some of them may not even made the team, but you're stuck with them on your cap, but that's, that's eating up cap space. Then when somebody like Peters goes on the cap, you know, goes on IR, then, you know, then you've got uh, guys like um, Seymour who are making the roster who you're paying. So, I mean, those with all of those injuries, 
I, I, I know I calculated it mid season at one point, but it was about eight to $10 million worth of cap space that was, was tied up, so to speak, because of injuries. I mean, the, the, the number of people on, on IR was way more because Peters himself was 14 million, but the, the impact of it, uh, the, in, the injury replacement, so to speak, um, or guys that were on IR that probably wouldn't have made the team anyway. Um, you know, that, that, that's a huge impact. Um, they also had to bring up guys from the practice squad at times uh, weekly to cover for some of those injuries. So that, that's an added expense. So injuries were certain, you know, I mean, again, eight to 10 million right there. They finished the year at 300 with 300,000. You know, uh, that's it. Um, so they so but if they have that eight to ten, then they have more flexibility or and or they don't have to do some of the restructures they did, which unfortunately is going to eat up future space. So so that's one thing. And then, you know, I mean, let's face it, the covid uh, as far as what it did to the cap. I mean, the Ravens uh, this year, uh, you know, the, the cap this year was went down. So let la- so last year, the cap stayed where it was supposed went up to where it was supposed to be and stayed where it was supposed to be. And this was the year of, of the pain. So and the cap, the cap dropped by 17 million from what it was last year. It was expected with the new CBA to be going up by 15 million or so. So you're looking at a 30 plus million dollar difference. I mean, the Ravens would have been swimming in money, <laughs> it, but for um, but for COVID and obviously this, that's something they, they really couldn't foresee. So, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge difference. I mean, they were, you know, two years ago, they, at, you know, after the Flacco, the 16 million of dead money came off, off the cap for Flacco, they were looking in great shape. And you saw that when they, when they extended Tavon Young, when they extended Tucker early, um, it, it, you know, um, extended Peters and, and, uh, Ricard, and then even last year when they extended um, uh, Stanley and Humphrey, you know they. I mean, they were they were looking to be in good shape, um, and you know, and and much better than they had been. So they wouldn't have been probably for those two things. They'd probably be, you know, I mean, they might be carrying over five or ten million dollars if the cap is where it's supposed to be at you know two fifteen right now. Um, or I'm sorry, that that that's what we're yeah 215 instead of 182. Uh, I mean they would you know they probably wouldn't have used up all of that cap space, or they would have gotten. I'm, I'm certain they would have gotten LJ's extension done. I mean it's just that was going to be impossible this year uh, once the injury started. Um, there's just there was just no way they were going to be able to carve out enough cap space to make a a reasonable deal for him. Yeah, because I I think that most fans think that. Lamar, if they were to extend him now, it would have saved cap money this year, but he's still on his rookie deal, and there's not enough there to really have a savings if they're going to extend him, what, for a five-year deal with a significant bon- – well, with a, a record-setting bonus for the Ravens. So talk about that a little bit more in detail about how the limited cap space prevented that extension. Yeah, and there's – yeah, and just so, so people know, there is one extension they got done. And that was just last week with Pat McCarry. Right. But there's a lot of a difference there is he was going to be a restricted free agent next year. Um, So he actually took no bonus this year because they just they had 300,000. I mean, you couldn't you can't craft a bonus out of that. Um, So um, so he was willing to wait till next year and he'll he'll get his bonus in March. But he wasn't going to get any money till March anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so you know that's not that big of a deal now you look at some other guys uh like uh like bozeman now he's going to be a free agent now again there's no money to craft any kind of bonus out of what they have so um you know so he if he has to wait if he had if he agreed quote unquote to wait to take his bonus in march well why not just become a free agent then why not just wait till the market sets what your value is I mean, he's 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 survived the season now, so to speak, without getting injured or, you know, or up to the last game, because that's what that's the deadline for extension. So, um, you know, so why well, doesn't make sense for a pending free agent to agree to to uh, to to postpone their their bonus. 
But in, in Macari's case, it was different because he was going to be a restricted free agent. The Ravens were going to tender him. He wasn't going to see any money uh, actually till later in the year. So, so that made certainly made more sense for him. But that's why other guys you weren't going to be able to get extensions for. So, so with, with LJ, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, if he gets a $40 million bonus, you're looking at needing $8 million in cap space for the bonus alone because it's divided by the five by five years and spread out over the five years of the deal. Uh, and then basically his base salary is going to be a million dollars. So you're going to need. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so, so for this year, uh, you know, I mean, it would, re- it, if this year it wouldn't have reduced his cap any because it was only what 3 million. So, so if it's 3 million and you're talking a million dollar salary and then, and then an $8 million bonus, you're, you're talking a $6 million difference. Um, I don't know. They, they pretty much max um, restructured everybody but Peters. Um, they, they restructured him in the spring but didn't do a max on him. Uh, I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but if they had redone him, it might have saved. It would have been less than $3 million if they had max. And so that still wasn't going to get LJ. Um, now, I mean, would LJ agree to take a $10 million bonus? now and then you know then the 40 million dollar you know in the spring possibly but short of you using void years which they've clearly um tried to avoid and what most teams avoid unless it's necessity um you know they're, they're they were very unlikely to be able to i mean they reached i mean they, they they restructured down to the bone other than peters basically I mean, they restructured everybody who had any kind of salary that made any sense to restructure. I mean, they did. And they, and they, got, them, they got them enough through the season with, you know, 300K left. And when you look at Lamar, so, so there really wasn't enough money to even have a very modest type of extension this season. And I think that pushed the narrative in some circles to thinking that, well, maybe the Ravens don't see him as a long-term solution when that's not the case. And there's also a narrative floating around, Brian, that the Ravens have an agreement in principle with Lamar, but they just haven't signed the deal. That kind of situation is pretty rare, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, uh, you know, because what happens if his injury was severe, you know, um, and it was career threatening. Then are they going to, you know, uh, you know, I think, the, uh, you know, I, you know, I think the Ravens are a pretty reputable organization, but that's a lot of risk for Lamar to take that the Ravens don't turn around and say, oh, well, yeah, we agree to that when you were 100 percent healthy. And now you don't look like you're ever going to be that again. So we're pulling it, you know, because it's in our best interest. So, uh, you know, I, that's that's a huge it's, no matter how reputable a team is, that's a huge risk for a player to take. Um, so, I mean, my, I would think they have parameters. I mean, they've had to have discussed parameters, you know, um, I mean, that's the first step is, you know, this is who, this is where we're thinking. And this is where we're thinking, you know, uh, I mean, those kind of discussions had to have happened. Um, you know, and if, and if, again, if the, I'll go back, if they had, if there, if, if there wasn't COVID, that deal would have been done last spring. I, I have no, I have no doubt in my mind. Um, that because they would have been flushing cap space, there would have been no reason not to get it done. Um, so, but you know, again, this year made them do things they didn't want to have to do. They, they, they you know, they, they've tried to stay away from restructuring people, and you know, and they finally got to the point where their cap was looking good and they weren't going to need to restructure people. And then, you know, the cap didn't go up last year like they would have liked. Uh, and then this year, obviously, it took the big it, it took the big hit. So unfortunately for them, you know, happening at the just the wrong time, although I guess if they were really tight against the cap like some teams and then they had to use void years and things like that, um, you know, they, that's something they wouldn't have wanted to do. So I guess it's better that they were flush uh, otherwise, uh, even even with the downturn. So you mentioned the parameters that you, they, they may have parameters in mind with Lamar's contract. Do you think that with the struggles of the offense from midseason forward, that those parameters may have shifted a little bit? You know, that's going to be a tough one. Um, and, you know, because 
you know, up to when he was, you know, early in the year into October, when he was looking like an MVP candidate again, you know, you, you could say, you know, 40 to 43, maybe higher Mahomes is at 45 a year, you know, maybe he's in that range because he looked like a, you know, he could be an MVP again. Um, now, even before his injury, he was struggling. Um, so, and, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't think his running, I don't know if there's an injury in there they weren't really disclosing, but I, he didn't look as explosive as he has in the past either, in my opinion, even early in the year. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that changes things. Um, it makes it harder. It, I, I, it, it has to give the Ravens some pause, uh, you know, if he has an MVP year, okay, we're going to pay through the nose, but we know it's worth it. You know, um, teams are generally would generally rather feel that confident and pay more because they feel confident in it than pay close to you know than pay what they're expecting or somewhere around it and not be sure about it. So, you know that that's you know so maybe they have to get a little more creative. So, you know, instead of you know forty to forty three, maybe it's. 38 to 40 and he wins an MVP. Then every year after that, his salary gets an escalator. Every year after that, his salary goes up by a million. Um, he wins a Super Bowl, same kind of thing. Every, every year after that, his salary goes up by a million. So that, that right there could add, if he wins both in a year, then every year after that, the salary goes up by two, you know? So, you know, those kinds of things, incentives that you generally don't put too much in a quarterback contract because they're so large to start with but they're kind of, you're hedging your bets a little bit and gives him the, you know, way to, to earn it back, earn it, what you, what he thought, what you might've thought last summer for him to earn it back. Um, you know, and now, you know, those kinds of things, I, I will say, I think that's harder to do when you don't have an agent because those are kind of harder things to craft. And, you know, whereas if it's a straight deal, it's a little easier to do without an agent. And the Ravens have always been straight deal kind of teams, without out a lot you know even Flacco's deal was a, was a pretty straight deal there weren't a lot of incentives and things like that in it so um so they might have to be a little more creative that way you know to get it in maybe a little lower to make them feel a little com more comfortable uh but if they believe in him 100 percent, then you know it's a go in your opinion is an extension inevitable yes i don't i don't that i don't think there's any uh, you know, I mean, we, there have been no, you know, these, these kind of things generally get out. There's been no rumbles that they're dissatisfied with him in any way. Um, you know, his teammates speak glowingly of him as far as, you know, as a leader and a hard worker. Uh, you know, those are things, that you, you know, those are the kind of things that would scare you if, if, you know, what you're hearing them talk about how hard of a worker he is. So you, you kind of say, okay, well, that's, that's one worry we don't have. Um, you know, so I don't I, I think it is. And, you know, this year he's going to play on his fifth year option, which is twenty three point one six one oh six million. Um, and, you know, they're going to they, they're probably going to need some of that cap space. So that'll be very telling. Uh, if something isn't done by March, then I don't think it's getting done. Let's let's put it that way um, or, or somebody or one side or they're, let's put it this way. They're far apart at that point. Um, because that's, that's also them saying, well, we'll find other ways to make the cap space we need. Um, and we'll let him play this out. Um, you know, I, I think that's a dangerous proposition. We saw it with Flacco winning the Super Bowl. We, you know, they do have the, you know, they do have the, um, you know, the, the tag in their pocket, but the tag is pretty large for a quarterback, obviously. And they, and, you know, so they would, uh, that's, that's a last resort. And we saw what it did to Dak Prescott's contract where he, you know, got for got a very short term deal. And, you know, that when you have a short term deal, you don't have as much flexibility to to work around the cap in any given year. I remember you and I having this discussion probably this time last year when we thought that the Ravens might get Lamar done before Mark Andrews because the franchise tag for a tight end was so reasonable, relatively speaking. And instead, they got Andrews done. How much more money do you think he earns after after his 2021 season relative to the contract that he signed? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, generally and DeCosta's talked about it, getting, you know, getting players done early 
And, uh, you know, until this year, he, he pretty much has. But this year, again, is a different animal. Um, he was able to get I, I you know, yeah, I was 100 percent on that that the limited cap space they had. And of course we didn't realize how, you know, even more impactful injuries were going to be after September, but um, you know, I, and that would have been tough because LJ's would have, his would, his would have cost them more than Andrew's. So at some point, and maybe that's where, as you said, they sort of have a side agreement and I don't know that there's any, you know, again, specific terms, but it's, we're going to take care of you. We just can't this year. Uh, but don't, don't you worry. We'll, we'll you know, we'll, we're, we're good for it. So, um, you know, so hopefully, hopefully that gets resolved because like I said, it will, it would reduce his, his cap number next year, which give him a little more flexibility. Um, and, you know, I think we're talking about next year later in the week, but uh, you know, that um, they're, they're going to need, they're, they're going to need a lot of that to help rebuild some of that, some of that, well, the defense kind of in general. So, I'm Tony Lombardi, and this is Brian McFarland we're speaking with. This is both from the Russell Street Report, and this is the front office. Brian, you mentioned this term before, void years, and on talk radio, we've heard some criticisms recently directed towards Eric DaCosta for not using what were defined as new world concepts like void years. Now, for the benefit of our audience, Brian, please explain void years, and are they really new age? I mean, no, void years have been around for a long time. Um, the Saints have been using them for the, la the last couple of years. They were using them because they were tight against the cap. They were paying um, Drew Brees on short-term contracts. They kept extending him by a year or two, and they would add void years in because they were giving him huge money, but they couldn't take $40 million on the cap in any given year for a quarterback now you know, that's coming now. <laughs> um, but back then when the cap was lower, that, that was, you know, that, that the caps couldn't take that. So they would use void years. So they give him a $30 million bonus, let's just say. And then they would add the void years, which would spread that bonus out. So that 30 wouldn't count all in that year, or maybe over the two years that they expected breeze to stay around, but they could spread that 30 million out over five years. But that meant if it was if, if he was going to be there for two years, that meant in the third year that you know, 15 million would hit the cap. And I, I don't I'd have to look it up, but I, that's that's the reason that they're in such trouble right now. Drew Brees is still counting a, a big chunk of money on their cap right now. Um, so those have been around. They, and those have been available, but nobody in their right mind would use them unless they were in a situation like that. Um, and they were the only team pretty much that used them. There might've been a, a deal here and there. Um, you know, if a team was running out of cap space at the end of the year and they needed, you know, more cap space than just a simple restructure would do on a guy, they would add some void years just to spread it out. But you were talking a million or two, you weren't talking big money. So they've been around for years this year because the cap again went down by 17 million. Uh, you know, and teams contracts are built around the caps going up, the caps going up, the caps going up. So not only are you looking at, I mean, so, you know, your, 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 your cap in the next year isn't dependent on where it was the year before it's dependent on where you expected it to be. So, you know, like I said, a lot, you know, most people are expecting, you know, uh, 215 as the cap goes down to 182 and, you know, you're looking at a, a huge problem. And for a lot of teams, the Saints being one, that was a problem. But I mean, there at one point, I think almost half the teams in the league were under, were going to be under the cap before they, of course, did things, uh, before they started making moves. So that's why teams cut, cut a bunch of guys that they wouldn't have otherwise cut. And then they started using void years. So the Falcons had to use a bunch of them. Green Bay used them. And Green Bay has been the you know, the standard for cap management for, for decades. I mean, ever since the cap existed, pretty much. I mean, they, you know, they were the gold standard. So, I mean, Philly used them. Now, another team that never has, you know, never has any cap issues. Um, so, I mean, no, there's, there's nothing new age about it. And there is absolutely nothing good about it because <laughs> you're basically um, trading this year's cap. I mean, it's, it's like restructuring, but you're not getting anything on the back end because the players, you, th you know, the player's not going to be there. Yeah. I mean, when, 
when the Ravens restructured Marlon Humphrey, they did it comfortable. It was the first year of his deal and comfortable that he's going to be here for all you know five of those uh, restructured years. So well, you, there's not going to be dead money on the back end. I mean, his cap number is going to be higher, sure. But, you know, you're not going to be you're not going to have dead money on the cap while you don't have the player. Well, Drew Brees isn't there and they knew Drew Brees wasn't going to be there. And, you know, a lot of these void year deals are going to are like that, where the play, the players in the last year of his deal and they didn't they don't they're not extending him. They're just add, they're just tacking void years on to spread out bonus money. So next year he's going to be gone and that money's still going to be there. So, I mean, it's, it's not good cap management. I have a, a group of guys like myself for various teams, you know, the Patriots, the, tech, the, the, the Texans, Steelers, um, Jets, uh, you know, a couple other guys. And, you know, we have a running cap dialogue when any issues come up or, you know, new, new things pop up and, you know, or you just need some help on figuring something out. And, I mean, I, Void years is not something that anyone would ever advocate. Um, you know, Andy Andrew Brandt, again Green Bay. You know, the former general manager there. Who, I don't know if he's with ESPN any longer or not, but I mean, he feels that void years are the scourge. And he goes, "If you're using, I have, I don't know if I have this right, but if you're using void years, you've already made the mistake because one, you're in the situation you have to use the void years, and then the void years just compound that. Now, again." I will say COVID's a little different teams. Some teams just had to use them because they had to use them, but it's not something you want to use. And I'm glad the, the Ravens stayed away from it. Yeah. And no one predicted that COVID would come around either to make kicking the can down the alley uh, into a tighter alley, so to speak. So that's, sure. just, that's, that's, and that who, who's to say that it can't happen again. We don't know anymore. No, no. And I mean, that's, you know, and, and maybe if God forbid it happens again, you know, the Ravens will have to use void years because where they are with their cap again, uh, you know, we should be happy that they were in a position they didn't have to. And, you know, assuming they get they, you know, assuming they get LJ extended. I mean, the only maybe one you can, you know, the argument you can make is they would have gotten Bozeman or Ricard, you know, redone if they had the cap space and make sure they have used void, void years to do that. I don't know. Um, you know, they can still sign them, you know, for next year at any point. So it's not like they, that, you know, that ship has sailed. Um, so, you know, I, it's just, it's just not a good, it's just not good cap management. And I don't think anybody who, who knows anything about the cap is, is going to advocate that for sure. Ryan, another narrative floating about is that, and this is being floated about on said talk radio, that the Ravens and Steve Bishotti are cheap and when i hear that i kind of laugh because they seem to always spend to the cap your, your take on that yeah i mean that that involves the the concept of cash over cap and that deals with signing bonuses and things like that where when you give a signing bonus um you know so um um let's use um well let's say yeah i mean let's say next year um Jackson Lamar gets a, a $40 million signing bonus, a million dollar salary. So he gets 41 million in cash in 2022. Um, his cap number in that case, again, would only be 9 million. So that's 31 million. So the $31 million difference is what is referred to as cash over cap. Okay. And that's spending money, but ultimately on the cap, that is always accounted for. Um, the Ravens have always been a team that gives, uh, or let me, let me rephrase in the past, they've been a team that has always given big signing bonuses, um, and smaller base salaries in the first couple of years. I mean, Flacco's contract was a prime example. He got, a, uh, he got a huge signing bonus and option bonus, and, but his, his cap numbers, I mean, his cap numbers were no, I think they were never over 16 million, even though his, um, his average for his, uh, the first deal, his average was like 24 million. Um, obviously they, then they had to restructure because of the bigger numbers that came up. Um, so, I mean, when you're giving out big bonuses, you're paying cash over cap. Well, you know, the, the Ravens, uh, you know, they, and obviously this first deal, I'm going back a little, but the first deal of the recent deals was the Earl Thomas deal. And we know how that was a $20 million bonus. 
we, we know how that one famously flamed out. So I know it's not a good example of, of good, uh, good, good uh, contracts, I guess we'll say, but that, I mean, that was, you know, that, that was a big bonus. So that's where your cash over cap comes. I mean, you know, just since then you've, you've had, um, you know, you, you've had a huge deal for, I mean, they're paying Stanley at the top of the market, they're playing Humphrey at the top of the market. Um, they're paying, um, Andrews at the top of the market. So, I mean, I, I don't know where the, the cheap narrative comes from They when you, when you have to eat a lot of dead money, your ca- you, that's cap space you can't use, which means that's also cash over cap you can't use. Um, because that's got that, you know, you, you need, you know, you, you need that space to, you know, to be able to have a contract that creates a bonus that creates cash over cap. Um, you know, they're, I mean, are they the top spender around? No. Um, but I'll tell you right now, last year they were, they were about 10th in the league in cash. I mean, I'm sorry, this just past year. They were about 10th, 10th in the league in cash over cap. Um, next year, I mean, assuming Lamar gets a $40 million bonus, uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be one of the top, you know, 40, they're going to be one of the top cash spending teams. So, I mean, it, it, it's cyclical too. When, when Flacco got his big bonuses, um, you know, they were, they were towards the top. When you eat that 6 million, 16 million on the cap um, after in his last year, and then they cleaned their cap up, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't spending a lot of, of cash over cap, but also because at that point they didn't have a lot of veterans with big contracts. I mean, I, that it's, so it's cyclical. They, you know, they're, they're bigger contracts to their older guys. They haven't, you know, uh, Williams got his bonus years ago. Um, so he was just base salary. You know, that's one of their, one of their bigger veteran contracts that's been around for a while. So that, that wasn't as much cash anymore. It's that first year, that bonus year, or if it's an option bonus, those first two years. So, I, you know, I asked again, I asked Mike, you know, if I was off because if I was wearing, you know, the, the, the purple sunglasses, you know, my cap guys and all of them said, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're spenders. They're not, they're not at the top, but they're nowhere near the bottom as far as, as teams you would think of as, as cheap. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it is a bit cyclical based on where your roster is and where your contracts are. Um, you know, they're, they're coming up to it with, with LJ and with Andrews and with Stanley and with Humphrey. You know, those guys were playing on rookie deals over the last few years. So, you know, that was, that was their top performers and, and, and they were cheap. Orlando Brown was part of that too, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, it, you know, that they're, when your good players are young, you're not paying as much cash until it's time to, to pay the piper and that's where they are now now you mentioned orlando brown now here's a guy who about this time last year started making some noise maybe a little later in the year started making some noise about him wanting to play left tackle and of course the ravens already spent top of the market dollars on ronnie stanley so and the doctors were saying that ronnie was going to be available the first game of the year and even in training camp so and it played out that he was available slightly in training camp, played the first game of the year, and we all know what happened after that. But at that point in time, the Ravens thought that they had their left tackle. And Brown wants to be played, paid like a, a left tackle, so he wants to move on, play left tackle, just like his dad always wanted him to. In that situation where you've got a guy one year removed from being a free agent and you've got a guy that you're probably not going to keep because he wants that top end top of the market kind of dollars. Did the Ravens, in your opinion, get enough for him in in that trade with the Kansas city chiefs? That's a tough one. Um, I don't know if you recall our conversation from last year, but I said he with, with, with Stanley coming back from injury, I said that Brown was more valuable to the Ravens than any other team. And that I thought they needed to get that if they weren't, didn't get blown away, um, that, you know, they should hold on to him and, you know, because he really didn't, he didn't have a whole lot of leverage. Um, you know, I mean, granted he could have come into training camp, you know, out of shape and, and, but that doesn't help this free agent year, you know, after, after the season. Um, but, you know, he couldn't hold out. You're, you're fine. You lose, you lose your year as soon as you hold out, 
of training camp, you lose your year towards free agency, which meant he wouldn't have been a free agent at the end of the season. So he clearly was going to show up. Um, now players show up and they sit in, so to speak. So, you know, I mean, he could have been a problem. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But then some of his comments didn't seem like the guy I thought he was either, in a, in a way, you know, um, you know, because, you know, if I was Ronnie Stanley, I might have taken some of that a little personally. Um, but, you know, so did they get enough? Basically, I guess you figure they got a, a first and a third. They gave up a second. They got some other picks in there. I mean, I know some of the new age charts said um, that they got the 22nd pick in the draft value. <sighs> I, I would I wanted more. I mean, I guess that from my perspective, I wanted more now. But you got other variables again. You know, what was he going to be a problem? Um, he is, you know, he's 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 a Ravens legacy. So did that play into it? I mean, if if he wasn't Orlando Brown Jr., if he was John Smith, would they have been as accommodating or would they said, shut up and show up? You know, I, I, you know, I think that's a variable in there, too, that I don't know we'll never know. I don't know if anybody could ever say whether, you know, the, their own bias was there of wanting to do right by him. I mean, they shipped Hayden Hurst out the year before because he was he wanted, you know, he, he, he didn't feel comfortable here. And, you know, he wanted out and, you know, uh, you know, so they were basically like, if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. I don't know. Uh, you know, that, that's great for keeping happy campers, but, you know, it's certainly the Ravens would have been, would have had a better season if Orlando Brown was here. Uh, you know, um, for this year, I think, I think the answer is, you know, it was not a good trade. Now, three years from now, you know, but he would have only been here for a year. Um, if, if he was true to, I want to play left tackle and left tackle only, you know, he, unless Stanley's injury becomes, uh, you know, career ending, then he, you know, there was no way to know that at the time either, you know, then, you know, he would have, he would have left as a free agent. Yeah. You might have, you would have gotten a comp pick a year later, but um, add that to, you know, use that, uh, you know, but they'll compare that then to, you know, late first round pick and a third and some, you know, some other picks. Uh, I think they have a sixth or a fifth this year uh, from that deal or maybe it's a six, it's a six from that deal. So, um, you know, I, it was, it, to me, it, it wasn't worth it, but I don't know what the conversations were. Um, um, you know, you know, and what, you know, what their feelings for, I mean, they, they clearly, I mean, nobody says a bad thing about the guy, you know, he's clearly a very well-liked guy. Um, so, but, uh, you know, they clearly two years ago, to, you know, envisioned having bookends through at least through his rookie year. And then maybe they could have, um, you know, maybe they could have found a way to keep him. But for, you know, and again, but for the pandemic and, you know, they've got 30 million in cap space for this year, more than they had. Maybe, you know, maybe if they pay him like a left tackle and they feel they can get that accomplished maybe that's enough for him to stay at right tackle. Who knows? Um, but, you know, all kinds of things, all kinds of variables there that I don't know if we'll ever know to, to give a full answer as far as what their thinking was um, and what the real situation was. But um, yeah, me personally, I would have rather kept him if you lose him as a free agent. So be it. Um, you don't have, um, you don't have OA, but you also have your second round pick and who knows who they would have gotten in that spot. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that to criticize them. I, you know, I, I, I more, I more believe it was a situation where they kind of were stuck in and that, you know, they made the best of what they could. Um, but you know, because uh, like I said, I, we're not privy to what those conversations with him and his agent were. Yeah. I got the feeling from Eric that this is a situation where I wouldn't say backed into a corner is a good description of the, what the situation was, but there was some pushback from Brown's camp to the point where they thought, could we have a malcontent on our hands, even though that is out of character for him, could we have a malcontent player on our hands and is that worth it? And should we explore the opportunity to, to move him? And I guess time is going to have a, 
the final say in this, Brian, in terms of how Adafi Owe plays and Ben Cleveland, if they're both Pro Bowl players, then then we're probably saying that the Ravens made the right move. And when you look at this season, would Orlando Brown Jr. have made a difference this season given everything that happened to the Ravens? I don't know that he would have made a big difference, but I guess we'll never know the answer to that question. But I think time will satisfy whether or not the Ravens got enough value out of this. But, you know, when you're going back and forth with it, it's probably a fairly even trade when it happens. And and I, I think the best trades for both teams are those trades that both teams walk away saying, I did not get the upper hand here. So maybe there was fair value in that. I want to shift gears, though, and talk about a couple other players. And, and as it relates to the cap, those players being Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. There have been some complaints about the Ravens not retaining either or both of those guys. Brian, for the money that they got from the Patriots and the Raiders, could the Ravens have kept either one of those guys? Um, well, again, they finished the year with 300,000, but, um, you have to go back to March really to, to, to think about it, where they were in March. Um, I, you know, obviously it could have caused even more pain during the season if they had re-signed those guys. But I mean, let's, I mean, let's face it. Nagakwe was a, was a no show after the trade, whether that was because of him, whether that was because of the fit here or whether that was because the Ravens couldn't make him fit the right way or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I, I don't, and I know he's had a good year in Oakland, but he's playing more as a, you know, as a four, three, four, three end there. Um, so I, I just, that just to me, wasn't a good fit and was not going to be a good fit. So, you know, resign, re resigning him was, I think, you know, a, it wasn't going to be, it was going to, that's moot. I mean, it, it, that was, that was never going to happen. Um, you know, Judon's a, a different one, a homegrown Raven, you know, guy that, you know, was very well liked in the locker room. Um, you know, you would have liked to seen him be re-signed. I mean, could they have, well, I mean, yeah, but you know, and you know, and I, I think there's, there's validity to this argument when you're, when they spent as much as they did on, um, you know, on Villanueva. And now, granted, you have to address that, but you had to, you had to address that spot, um, you know, and then there's some other guys, you know, could, and obviously this is hindsight because, you know, if Derek Wolf played and played well, then you're not saying this, but you got nothing from Derek Wolf, Wolf all year. So, I mean, there was money there. I mean, you're in, back in March, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're picking your poison, so to speak. Um, you, you, you're, you're not going to you're not going to sign somebody who you signed in order to keep Judon. So, you know, you know, they could have. I mean, I don't think there's any question they could have. Now, looking long term, um, you know, that you have to look at the long term element of the deal as well, because that first year cap number is going to be a, a lower number to start with. Um, but that was, you know, because of you know, because of the downturn in the cap that was a pretty reasonable deal for, for Judon. So, um, but clearly, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was used differently there. Um, you know, he, he clearly was a more dynamic pass rusher there than he is here. So you have to, you know, have to factor that in too. Uh, did he, what did he finish with 14 sacks? Is that right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So would he have had 14 sacks here? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that's a, you know, is there, was there, a, you know, and that's something I don't, I, I didn't get a chance to, I, I glanced at Dev's article, but I imagine that's some of the kind of things Dev touched on in his article about the defense, as far as scheme and things like that, do they, you know, do they have to look at the way they've done things Are they're doing things and are they getting some of the best use, you know, the best out of their talent. And I think that's something they have to, you know, have to look in the mirror about, because when you have, Zadarius Smith go and, and put up 15 and a half sacks. I think he did his first year in Green Bay, you know, and it used to be guys would leave here for quote unquote greener pastures and they'd be, you know, they'd be cut within two to three years by that team. Um, but more recently, clearly guys are leaving here and they're having much more, they're having greater success than they had here. So I think that's something they have to, you know, take a hard look at. So, you know, I, again, I don't, you know, Nagakwe, just that 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 wasn't going to happen. But you know, it, would you would you trade Judon for 
you know, for Villanueva and, um, you know, and uh, Wolf, I think you would have this year. Um, but that also means you have to address right tackle in the draft, um, which they should have anyway. But, you know, so but that those things could have been figured out. So if you didn't get Villanueva and I guess they got him, I don't they got him before the draft. I think they got him after the draft, didn't they? Yes, they waited till yeah. May. There wouldn't be a comp pick issue. Right. So, you know, if you if you if you address it in the draft, then you maybe you don't have to do that or you or you get a different tackle who's not going to cost as much. Um, there were, I mean, it turned out to happen, happen much later, but Morgan Moses in D.C. would have been a much better addition um, at a lesser cost, too, if I remember correctly. But I don't think the, I don't think the Jets cut him till later. And then um, uh, the guy Leno from uh, the Bears got him late. He, they cut him really late. Yes, they did. Uh, yeah. Ended up being a godsend in D.C. and got an extension. So. You know, um, so there and the Ravens always been good at picking those guys up. But, um, yeah, that I mean, the whole right tackle, it, it kind of the Judon almost revolves around right tackle. If you're not holding that money back for right tackle and I, they had that deal with Villanueva uh, done a long time uh, before they actually signed it because of trying to save the comp pick. So, um, you know, I, I think that, I think that's a legitimate criticism because now, again, would Judon have had 14 sacks here? I don't know. But if he had nine, that would have been would have led the team and been nine more than they had. So. All right, Brian, appreciate your time today. You put uh, your annual Ravens salary cap preview out today on Russell street report. I definitely recommend reading folks. And, and tomorrow you and I will play the roles of Eric, the and Pat Moriarty. We'll be going over that in, in detail, your salary cap preview in terms of roster movement, potential ways of creating additional cap space so that the Ravens can be, players in, in the free agent market to, you know, fill some holes on that roster. And also we're going to be joined by Jeff Zarebeck to get an insider's perspective on those kinds of moves. So it should be a fun show tomorrow. So thanks everyone for listening and special thanks to Royal Farms for making this podcast possible. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone.